now. You are listening to Always Be Watching from the Always Be Watching Bunker, located in Sydney, Australia. I am joined this week by someone in a, looks like a bunker. I'm looking at him on Zoom here, and I think bunker is probably the polite way to phrase it. Like, there's definitely some barrels in the background here. That's all that I know. But I'm joined here by Michael Maloney. Michael, how you doing? Hey, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing really good. For those who don't know, I'm in Melbourne, Victoria. So yeah, it's definitely bunkered down down here at the moment. A little less so than it was a month ago, but yeah. It seems to be a lot more COVID-free than Sydney these days. I don't know. I don't look at the news. Uh, you've got donuts galore. <laughs> great, great. Uh, we got no one today, though. It's all very exciting. It's on the up. One day, I might actually be allowed to cross the state border and see my parents again. Who knows? Yeah, look, I, I don't think I'm getting to Bris- back to Brisbane for Christmas. I'll say that much. Anyway, this week, we don't have Chris Yates. He is off on assignment. Michael Maloney, first of all, what have you been watching? Like, let's hit the first thing. What have you seen? Have you seen a movie recently? Uh, I have. I've been watching a lot of movies. So I've had a lot of spare time um, not being able to leave the house too much. So I've been watching... So many movies. Well, uh, let's love start and with Monsters. Love and Monsters. Let's do that. Yeah. Amy, I love you. I'm going to come find you. The day of the monster uprising was the day I lost everyone. Only a small fraction of humanity survived to move underground. I've been scanning for Amy the entire time. And now I finally found her. Don't. Hey, don't. Amy, is that you? Hey! How far away is Amy's colony? 85 miles. It's an impossible journey. Everything will try to kill you. Don't fight. Just run and hide. Uh, okay. Now, that's the trailers of Love and Monsters. I'll admit, until you mention this film, I've never heard of this movie at all, but it just came direct to a video in the US and presumably comes out in Australia soonish. What is the deal? Because yeah. it looked like my favorite movie ever from when I was 12 years old. <laughs> Uh, I too didn't know much about this film, but, um, and I did go in blind when I was watching it, but, um, had a quick browse. The reviews came back quite positive. So I thought I'd go in, but it's essentially, it looks fun. Uh, one of my favorite, yeah, it's one of my favorite types of movies, end of the world. And, you know, in, in the case of this one, the characters are already at the end of the world. They've been there for some time, um, evidently. Um, and really it's a, it's a love story, um, at the center of it. So, you know, even though there's monsters galore, um, it's, you know, it's really about the main character. Um, you know, he, he's, he's going to search for his high school love basically. Yeah. So I didn't watch all of the trailer cause I didn't want to ruin it for myself, but like the main guy is that Dylan guy from the maze runner. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. I'd seen his face. Um, I didn't know where he'd been from, but he's also in, um, Teen Wolf, I, I believe. So he he's a character in Teen Wolf as well. I haven't, I haven't seen Teen Wolf, but um, I hear it's I hear it's up there. Uh, look, I'll say that it's no Teen Wolf the movie, which is a seminal film from my life. Yeah, yeah. it's not even a Teen Wolf two T O O as far as I'm concerned. But you know, I certainly appreciate there's wolves in it and they're teenagers. Yeah, it's 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 probably a good film. It's probably a good TV show. But um, it's, look, it's not, this, but this movie, Dan. Um, I think one of the things that I liked about it most was the monsters, um, not what you expect, you know, they're, they're basically insects that have been turned large. So it's not zombies or anything. I think everyone's a bit tired of zombies these days. Um, the monsters in this movie are basically like snails and everything that have been morphed into giant, uh, creatures. Um, never, never before seen on film. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a fun watch. Look, I, I don't think go in expecting, um, 
you know, the, the greatest film you're ever going to see, but are you going to enjoy it? Are you going to find it, um, you know, charming? Uh, yeah, I think you will. And I think it's one of those movies that has enough action, enough comedy, um, a little bit of horror in there that it's, you know, it's good for couples to sit down and watch together. Now, there is one aspect of this that you haven't talked up, okay, <laughs> which is that obviously Michael Rooker is in it. No, 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 no. There is the no. location <laughs> that I filmed this in. Yeah, no, it's it's filmed in Queensland. And one of the things I love most about movies um, is being able to spot locations you've been before. <laughs> yeah. And I find that, you know, if, if I see a movie that's been filmed around Brisbane or, you know, somewhere in Queensland, uh, I'll be the first to see it. Um, this one, I think, is filmed mainly on the Gold Coast and in the hinterland and stuff like that. So it's it's a lot of uh, overgrown sort of foliage and stuff like that. But you can definitely um, tell, it's, <clears throat> tell it's filmed in uh, Brisbane, uh, probably not as much as some of the, you know, the other more uh, famous Brisbane uh, films. Um Inspector Gadget, uh, Inspector Gadget two, two. Uh, yeah. For, for example, um, the uh, sort of French Stewart's, uh, I, I guess, uh, <laughs> most highly regarded film. Was <laughs> Tony Martin's lowest regarded film, but um, you know, I, I just enjoy a film. I just enjoy a film where you can go and see where you can spot locations that you've been before, and that's you know what um, it was. San Andreas, for example that I had seen all the way through yeah. didn't realize until I spoke to you afterwards. And you're like, Oh, did you see um, the the post office? And I'm like, no, it just, you know, it totally reinvigorated it for me. I went back uh, and watched San Andreas with the rock. Um, as soon as I found out it was filmed in Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, I was walking through Brisbane with my mum, and I'm like, Hey, look, there's something filming over here. Let's go take a look what it was. Anyway, there was no rock to be seen, but we did see some cars go past and, whatnot so you know i knew there was going to be some yeah. brisbane city gpo action going on but looking through the cast here i'm like look if this is going to be a australian production there's going to be a whole bunch of australian actors who are playing supporting roles so i've gone through look there's a couple of names that i kind of half know like dan ewing for example uh but there's like uh pacharo zembe i believe is how you pronounce his name and he was one of the leads in season two of danger five and I know that because I interviewed him okay. at one point. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, I know which character he was. Yeah, he's probably um, the most uh, the most Australian on there. But, it, you know, it did stand out to me. Like, I got really excited when I thought, when I realised it was filmed in Queensland. I thought, oh, there's going to be a whole bunch of other Australian faces I recognise in this. Didn't recognise really anyone. Very disappointing. Which is a bit of a shame. You know, I'd like, I like you know, to be filmed here, but you've got to bring in a bit of local talent as well. Yeah. Uh, you don't go past the Forex Beer Factory, do you, at all? Uh, you don't, but how, how would I even know, you know it's Brisbane? Had, had, the, had the director known what a you know a cultural icon it is, <laughs> uh, he he may have uh, filmed there. Um, okay, for for for, sequ- for the sequel anyway. I'm going to throw you in deep. I know you've been watching some TV. Give me a show. What have you seen recently? Uh, I've seen The Bachelorette, the USA version. I have not seen the Australian version. No interest in the Australian version, but my partner uh, is obsessed with the US version um, and I've been watching that. Now, is she interested in the Australian version as well? Or has she got no interest at all in the local? uh, Not the local version, really. She's more interested. She's that hardcore, um, uh, you know, OG Bachelor fan. So what's the difference? Bachelor Nation. What's the difference? Can I guess and say that there's a lot more of a romantic ideal of the bachelors and bachelorettes in these programs if it's coming from the u.s where it's a little less fairy tale if it's in australia is that maybe a fair assumption look i would have said that's the case 
um, maybe 10 seasons ago. And this is, and keep in mind, this is a show that's, um, uh, I think the bachelorette's in its 16th season. The bachelor's in its like 25th season. Um, I I think those ideals once stood, um, but like with any TV that, you know, it eventually gets old and I guess the producers are always looking for some, you know, new angles or, or whatever to bring to these shows. And I think, um, you know, every, every season they say it's the most dramatic season yet, but this year might just be the most dramatic season yet from what, from my viewing of it. Okay. I'm not even feigning interest at the moment, but I'm, I'm actually legitimately kind of curious. Is this really that dramatic? Like what's dramatic about this? Well, look, I mean, I think COVID's obviously affected the production of a lot of TV shows and it, you know, it definitely had an effect of this one. There was all sorts are of, they really, are they know, really filming the bachelor? Cause my understanding with the bachelor and I've never seen any of these programs, but my understanding is there's a bit of sexy times that go on and how can you have sexy times with relative strangers? If you're all wearing PPE? Well, at the, in the, look, at the first episode, I think it was stated that they had originally tried to film this. COVID came along. They delayed it for a little bit. Then they decided, well, look, let's just create a, like a, a COVID-free compound, not do usual bachelorette type stuff and leave. It's basically a single COVID compound. All the guys went in there, the girl, they get COVID tested. And then it's like a prison. You can't leave this place now that you're COVID-free. Uh, and, and that's how, that's how they've done it. So that's how they can get a little bit touchy feely. Okay, yeah. So they're in a bubble because I was thinking maybe they actually put them in proper bubbles. Make okay TV, but you don't really know a person until you've rubbed their bubble. <laughs> I, I feel there should be questions I should ask you about the season of The Bachelor, but I just don't even know where to start. Well, look, Dan, I'll, I'll, I don't I don't want to spoil it because I think you know your audience is probably watching along with it, like myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you've overestimated but, things. No, but no, sure. but the, the, the thing that makes this series really interesting is that the, the, the female contestant, the bachelorette this year has basically found love really early in the series. Um, and, you know, what do the producers do when you have a contestant who's basically said, oh, I'm not interested in any of the other guys. Um, there's one guy there I'm basically interested in and they've got, you know, 25 other guys still on the show and about, you know, 16 other episodes to film this season. So it's coming to sort of a, a head this, this week and uh, it's been delayed because of the elections. So the bachelors had to take second place there. Um, but I believe it's airing tonight in the U S and um, look, Claire, the Claire, the bachelorette is I think this week going to basically say, um, I, I'm going to pick this, this chap. I won't say his name. Um and then they're going to, which they've already revealed, they're introducing a new bachelorette mid-season. So there's another, there's another lady lined up, ready to go. Really shaking it up. Now I it's am the most th- dramatic season ever. Now I'm pondering the idea that you mentioned the elections have interrupted it. I'm considering the fact that Trump has been referred to as the first reality star president. It is an absolute shame that for this season they couldn't actually have some sort of crossover with the election and maybe bring in two new eligible bachelors onto the bachelorette. Okay, you have, don't, it, have an opportunity to get some uh, bubble rubbing with one Joe Biden. Get the opportunity yeah, to get or, Trump in there. But I, I mean, Eric or, or Don Jr., one of them might be single. I can't, rem- I can't remember precisely, but I, I thought one might be single. I think Don is not married, but I believe that he's there with that screamy lady. Okay, he's not necessarily eligible, but... No. Time may tell. But he's probably coked up enough to be a Bachelor contestant. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. That's a good idea. It's a good idea. <laughs> I think I think it would get rated. I think it would rate well. 
<laughs> okay, now you've got a third movie, but or third movie, TV show, whatever. But I'm going to interrupt and I'm going to talk about some stuff that I've been watching recently. And look, maybe you've seen this as well. Have you seen this? There's a brand new Netflix series called The Queen's Gambit. I'm going to play a I've clip. Seen the pitch. I've seen the picture. That's enough. What have I done? This is just amateur hour, Maloney. Absolute amateur hour. Um, well, what's it about? Uh, we'll, we'll just edit it in later. Let, let me just find... Did I even save the thing? What am I doing? You know what? I think I recorded it. I think I edited it, and then I didn't export it. <laughs> Good work, Barrett. So, Maloney, as you may have picked up from some of the key words in that one, this is a TV drama about chess. It's an exciting seven episodes with some people sitting around playing chess. But before you get too bored by the idea of that, some people, if they're going, hey, look, we're going to make a TV show about chess. There's smart people that are traveling the world involved in chess tournaments. Surely there's some sort of a spy or an assassin on the side. And that's kind of almost what I expected from the show. It's got a very cool, like, 1970s sort of, like, British spy name around it. It's like the Queen's Gambit. And I'm like, that's a really cool, uh, like, name to throw in there. I can imagine what this program is. But it's not that. It's literally about a girl who plays chess. Now, I didn't expect to love this anywhere near as much as I have. I'm completely on board with this program. I've only seen the first couple of episodes. But basically, you've got a young girl whose mother sort of commits suicide in her first episode, leaving her as an orphan. So she ends up living in this orphanage and comes across this like creepy guy who like he's a staffer on the, uh, on the estates that the orphanage is built on. And he introduces her to chess and you kind of think things are going to get a little bit creepy with the guy, but it's not. And I think there's the perception that maybe things have gotten creepy with this guy and everyone tries to, you know, rustle over it. But it's all legitimate. It's just him going, hey, look, this is how you play chess. He's a bit of a standoffish guy. She's a bit of a standoffish girl. And so she finds this love for, you know, moving the pieces around the board with him. As the show goes on, well, the from the first episode at least, because you see the first episode from her being a young child, like learning the ways of chess. But she also learns the ways of getting addictions to drugs because at this orphanage, they're giving them like a couple of, uh, we'll call them supplements to keep the kids quiet. And so she kind of gets hooked on these pills. As time goes on, the, uh, I guess maybe the authorities, you don't quite see this. It's always from the perception of the kids. But some at some stage, they've decided they can't actually keep on doping up the kids. And so she's there and has to go a bit cold turkey. But she's really into these drugs that have been giving her. So she has a bit of a rescue effort to try to steal this massive jar of drugs, leading to one of the finest moments in the first episode. But it sort of sets her on a life of dependency. And so for the rest of the series, we see her as an adult. Like she is hardcore about chess because it allows her to exercise like, you know, her chess loving demons. But also she's a woman who doesn't mind boozing up and sleeping with dudes. And she's living the chess life in the most rock and roll way possible. So she's not a spy? Not a spy. It's okay, it's no. a straight drama. Uh, no, it's, no, look, it, it does sound like a show that uh, that interests me. Why haven't I clicked watch on it? Then why is it only on my list? So I think you're actually a little bit alone on that because I think lots of people have been pressing play on it. I and what what I really like about it. So the person behind it is Scott Frank, who if you've ever seen films like say Out of Sight or Get Shorty or a whole bunch of things he's made since then. Basically, you kind of know the sort of vibe that he does. It's kind of, it's sort of dudish drama. There's snappy dialogue here and there. There's characters who are a little bit sort of on the edge. It's not really a straight narrative generally as well. And that's certainly what's going on in this show. 
I was really taken with the fact that this is a story just about a chess player. Because as I said, like there's all sorts of ways you could jazz that up with all these things that you actually really don't need. But there's all this drama and actual human engagement coming from someone who is just playing their best chess life while living the most fucked up life they can. I think um, it's it's Anna Taylor Joy, isn't it? The, That's the right. actress from from who I who I rate quite highly since seeing her in uh, Split. Um, is, is that the name of the film? The, Look, the that, film? That's, that's the name of the film. I can't say I rated anything highly from that film. The, the, the second one was okay. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was a bit one, rough going. I was, so. <laughs> I was a bit interested when but, Bruce Willis came in right at the end. And then yeah, far but, less so when I saw the full Bruce Willis film that followed it. The the point the point of my argument, Dan, is that she's, you know, as an, as an actress, um, she's very good. She's very visible. Um you know, she's, uh, I don't think you could throw any person into a role like this about chess. Um, you, you know, you need someone with certain qualities. And I think she probably brings that to the table. <laughs> oh, she's suddenly someone who's very watchable. Yeah. Yeah. Now, something else I've been watching recently is The Connors. Now, have you ever watched The Connors, the Roseanne spinoff? No, no. I've only, I look, the last I saw of Roseanne was probably 25 years ago. And look, that's absolutely fine. So the... There was a thing with Rory's Ann towards the final sort of last season of the show where there's actually a whole run of episodes that start playing things for drama. I think Darlene got pregnant and she had... Like, I thought there were like twins involved. I'm not sure. There's a whole bunch of Rory's Ann that kind of got retconned away when they did the new version of the show. But like there's a few episodes where it's her like concerned she's going to lose her kids and there's like these sort of big dramatic moments and there's no laugh track and it's really shot quite differently. And it was a show that was kind of a little bit bold and unwatchable, but still kind of bold and a bit interesting towards the end. But then when it came back as the Connors, it sort of seems as though they decided to take the aesthetic of being a sitcom, but instead of actually having like genuine laughs in it, I think they took the emptiness that came from those sort of run of episodes at the end because I don't find anything about the Connors particularly funny. And is it meant to be thing. funny? It is. It's supposed to be like a traditional sitcom. But it sort of oh. seems like the old the old Roseanne episodes, like there's legitimate laugh out loud moments and every episode would actually have like a few great gags in there. But the Connors... It's a funny show. It's just absent. And I really like the cast of the show, maybe except for Lisey Goranson who plays Becky. Like she was always awful. And as an adult, she's even worse. But the show, like... I kind of really want to like this program and every time I tune in, I just find it completely unwatchable. But the reason I want to talk about it this week specifically is I watched the first episode back and there's a whole bunch of additional actors who are now sort of semi-regular people in this program. And it's legitimately a program I think I would be very excited to watch purely on the basis of what the show is now if it wasn't so unwatchable. So here's the thing. Roseanne, dead in the program. So Dan right. has done his morning. He's now a single man and he's out there dating. And who has he settled down with? He settled down with Katie Segal from Married with Children. So I'm watching this show and it's been a bit of time since I've checked in with the Connors. So I was unaware that any of this was happening. But I'm watching an episode with set in the Roseanne kitchen with Dan from Roseanne, who's looking quite thin these days, but still recognizably John Goodman. Okay, and he's there in the kitchen with Peg Bundy. Yeah, they should have had they should have had it as, a, as an actual crossover. Peg left Al, and now yeah. he's met Dan, and oh, I'd watch that. <laughs> yeah, as long as Buck can come wandering through at some point as well. <laughs> There's a moment when Dan goes to answer the door, and then it's like some guy's got like a relationship with who's apparently now like a debt collector, but played by Danny Trejo, like oh, Machete. Great. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, and like he's just one of Dan's friends, and I'm like, I'm totally in for that. This is a show that's basically had an entire reset. Yeah, pretty much. Darlene's got a new man in her life, and it's played by, his name's J.R. Ferguson, better known as Stan Rizzo from Mad Men. Wow. And it's like they're just trying to bring in the Dan Barrett demographics, the viewership here. (laughs) They're doing everything right. (laughs) Does it have different people um, uh, directing it, producing it or anything? No, it's the exact same. They've just yeah. sort of basically come to the conclusion that they needed to do something quite drastic to make this appealing. Well, I don't know. Like, they seem to have, like, it doesn't even feel like it's that drastic a change to the program, but it definitely does feel like they're doing a few things to try to liven the show up and broaden it beyond just, like, that core family unit. But, like, the original yeah. Roseanne used to do that as well, where Jackie would be dating, like, a new man for, like, about two or three seasons, and then that'd change, and there'd be someone else yeah. set up. She was running the... Uh... The, the the restaurant the uh, the meatloaf place for a little bit a couple the of seasons box. I think she was also a, she, the lunchbox she was also a cop for a couple of seasons she was um, now the lunchbox is still a fixture in the program so she wow. I, the episode I saw had her doing like courier deliveries and so she was doing like an Uber type writing sort of wow. um, arrangement so they were trying to cut down on fees so she was out doing the deliveries while Becky was back at the restaurant doing some cooking and she's Love got it. a She's got a man in her life as well who seems to be a Mexican immigrant. Okay. Is yeah. the is the son st- is the son still in there? Uh son supposedly according to the credits. I don't remember it in, like in the episode. <laughs> who really knows? No. But in the episode, the daughters were going back to Wellman Plastics, which if you remember was the place that Roseanne and Jackie worked in the first season of the program. Wow. And that's when George Clooney was a regular in it. And they played a clip with Clooney. George Clooney was a regular on Roseanne. Yeah. I don't I remember at the that. Beginning. He was like the supervisor of them at this plastics factory. <laughs> yeah, just out. imagine George Clooney's been spending most of his earnings from, from that point onwards trying to erase all copies <laughs> of his, his appearance in season one of Roseanne. I don't know. I'm not sure there's anything for that to be. Like, there's nothing embarrassing about that. He was fine. Played a character called Booker. I, I th- look, that's the type of show I would go and watch, but it's not something I'm going to go seek out. If I caught it on TV, I would give it a look. But am I going to go seek that out? I don't know, Dan. Look, I just stumbled across it on streaming and I'm like, yeah, I could watch that. And based on the cast additions to it, I kind of want to keep watching it, even though I don't think the show is very good. And when I say I don't think the show is very good, I mean, it's just terrible. It is not a good program. It's just not funny. No. Okay. That, yeah. You're not really selling it. No. Well, I'm not. I'm just talking about your. These are my adventures in television. These aren't meant to be shows that we're recommending people go and watch. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> They're the things that we've endured over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> look, I'm probably not checking out The Bachelor anytime soon. Uh, but Love and Monsters, I think I'll give that a look. But I, Mike, I, you would love Love and Monsters. Love and Monsters is one of those films we would go see at like 2 a.m. at a film festival. That's exactly what this film is. But like the film's a bit better than just like a 2 a.m. film festival sort of thing, though, isn't no, it? No, like it's definitely it's a better. Proper, but it, you'd it, get down to like probably, your event cinemas and you'd pay your $21 to sit at a VMAX. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Oh. Maybe they're showing it at 9.30 or 10. In the morning? Yeah. No, it's a film festival. Oh, okay, gotcha. Sorry, I was a bit concerned because you're talking about like seeing a movie, and I'm like, I don't go to the movies after midday. I only go to the movies now in the morning. That's uh, <laughs> that's one of the best things you've ever taught me. Yeah, Just go 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 to the 10 a.m. session. <laughs> well, there's no teenagers to be concerned about. Yeah. Well, you know, I mostly go to gold class anyway, just to avoid most human contact. 
Yeah, look, I actually went to Gold Class a couple of weeks ago, which I try not to at the best of times because I don't really like the Gold Class experience much. I know. But I actually found more people at the Gold Class than I have at any other session I've been to since cinemas reopened. I think that's fair. I think some people probably think, I'll go to Gold Class now. It's going to be slightly less maybe COVID risk because there's going to be less people there. But if you go to one of the bigger sessions, you've only got three people in there at the best of times anyway, and you're more spread out. So it's probably the safer option just to go to a a normal session. Yeah, well, that's pretty much what I found. But it was kind of strange because I I think that in order to try to get people to come to the cinema, and if you go to Gold Class, you don't just go for the movie. You also get like some expensive snack food as well when you're there. Yes. So I think the idea is that they're trying to get people not to go to the VMAX session, but really to spend the extra like $2 because that's like doing cheap tickets on a Gold Class. But when you're there, you're probably more likely to buy one beer or the guy that was sitting next to us, six beers. Wow. And, uh, I, I like their uh, sundaes, their, their uh, chocolate sundaes. Highly recommend it. They're um, pretty good. They're pretty pricey though. You know, the, the real reason I go to Gold Class is I like to lie it's down when Sundays. I'm watching a movie. So that's just, that's just as flat as I can get. <laughs> um, even the cinemas these days that have the, the more reclining seats, they don't have enough recline um, to my liking. So that's why I like, I will pay the extra $25 to get that real flat surface. Aren't you concerned you're going to start snoozing during the movie? <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take my own koala mattress with me and just <laughs> spread it out in the aisle. <laughs> you take the box with you and then like yeah, you'll the box open and it up. That's what, that's what koala designed their mattresses for, portability. So I can take that with me, lie down in the aisle and uh, watch the movie. Comfort. Makes for an expensive movie because what's a koala mattress? Like 800 bucks each? No, but you can take it to multiple movies. It's an investment over time. But you You've can't got, fold down the mattress after you've opened it up. I, I doubt that. I doubt that. Well, you can't. I'm telling you. You've Have you ever tried? <laughs> have you ever tried to take your koala mattress to an, an event cinema? Look, I mean, no, I haven't. Yeah. But I, I can't get it back in the box. It's not going to happen. Just sort of taking it over your head like a, a kayak just through the, <laughs> through the foyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Maloney, what else have you seen? Come on, hit me with something. Um, you know, one movie I was really excited about, um, and I mentioned it to you a couple of weeks back, and I'm like, oh, I'll check out the reviews of this, um, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. I'm John, I'm an alcoholic. I've been in the program now for six years. Sober for three. This is scary. It's new. I never saw a body like that. There's going to be a lot of late nights and overtime because of the brutal murder that happened in town. And I didn't want to set up expectations that I can't keep. Our expectations of you are very low. Spans the bites are gigantic. Same as the distance of the paw prints. It's a wolf. Or maybe it's a werewolf. No, let me just make this perfectly clear. There is no such thing as werewolves. Our killer is a guy. And I'm going to find him and I'm going to kill... And we're going to bring him to justice. Okay, so there's a bit of hype around that movie. And to illustrate how much enthusiasm there is around the wolf of snow... The Wolf of Snow Hollow, when you type in the word wolf into IMDb, you know how it comes up with a list of things that you're probably going to be likely to click. So like if I wanted to type in, um, if I wanted to type in The Dark Knight and I typed in dark, you know, Dark Knight is probably one of the first ones who hits. Wolf of Snow Shadow, uh, Snow Shadow, Wolf of Snow Hollow is literally the first hit. Underneath that is The Wolf of Wall Street, which you would think would be the first hit. Well, I would have thought Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf starring uh, Dylan O'Brien. such and such from earlier. (laughs) Wolf Hall, the original Teen Wolf. Wolf with Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer. Like all these under The Wolf of Snow Hollow. So tell me, does the movie live up to the hype? 
in short, no. But that's <laughs> not to say it's not a movie I wouldn't recommend seeing. Look, I it's it's a fun I trailer. Because I haven't not, seen I, this yet, but I yeah. watched that trailer. And I'm like, I definitely want to watch this film now. I love horror movies, but I love horror movies that um, that take a unique approach to these things. And by no means is The Wolf of Snow Hollow a horror movie. Um, it's it's definitely it's it's a mix of comedy and uh, black comedy and 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 drama um, and mystery and stuff as well. It's got a very um, uh, Twin Peaks feel to it. Um, you know, we're we're talking about a small town um, sheriff's department here out in. Um, out in some remote uh, area, um, lots of lots of snow and, and pine trees and so forth. And basically, you've got a um, a whole bunch of young women um, falling victim to what is presumably a werewolf. Um, but uh, the the main character, um, played by uh, Jim Cummings, um, also directed by him as well. I didn't realize that till I went back and looked afterwards. Star- starring Jim Cummings. Written by Jim Cummings, directed by Jim Cummings, and and this and look, this leads to the the, the main problem with the film is it's written as a, I guess a vehicle for him, but he's not necessarily someone that I I I found based on one movie I've watched of him, someone I enjoyed because the character he's written for himself, he's just constantly yelling and screaming. There's so many other more interesting characters in this movie that just aren't given the screen time compared to his character. Uh, I mean, you, we're talking here about a movie that's basically Rob Forster's um, final film, um, and he does have a little bit of screen time uh, and what he does have. So so that's Robert Forster. People would know him as like Max Cherry from Jackie Brown. Exactly. And, you know, he's in The Descendants and, you know, 50,000 other great movies throughout yeah. his career. And he is he's yeah. still excellent in this film with the small part that he has. But the, I, 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 the whole film, I was basically wanting to see more of every other character, basically. And then anytime Jim Cummings was on screen, it was kind of just a chore to watch. And it just felt a little bit overplayed um, and it, 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 the, the tone of the film was off, I think, because of that. Yeah, like that's a bit disappointing because I don't know Jim Cummings at all, but when I watched the trailer, I was like, who's that guy? He seems kind of a bit of interesting. Yeah, he's, I, based on my research, he's done that other movie, uh, Thunder Road. You would definitely be familiar with the uh, the, the poster for it, the uh, the graphic. He's like, it plays a cop um, who has to sing in his uh Mother's Funeral, a Bruce Springsteen song. Um, I, I guess it's Thunder Road um, that he's going to sing. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just taking a guess there. Uh, but uh, he, he's done that. Um, and look, I think he, he's definitely talented without a doubt. This movie, but for me, just it, the tone was off. I didn't really enjoy the character. Um, there's so many other things that I liked about it that were just too small a part of the movie or too much was trying to happen um and, and it just didn't find that right balance because i think it, underneath this there's a really good mystery story or there's a really good horror story or there's a really good comedy as a whole but in what's been delivered i don't think it's any of those things yeah look i'm definitely going to give this a look i'm hoping that i can argue with it and say no no you've missed the point this looks really good because the trailer is so promising Look, I went in with really high hopes because I saw the trailer and I was like, wow, this movie is made for me. Like, this is exactly yeah. the type of thing I'm after. I was ready for another werewolf film in 2020. There really aren't, like, outside of Teen Wolf, I can't think of another werewolf movie I've actually ever liked. Uh, Sorry, in te- London? Teen Wolf and the extended Teen Wolf franchise. 
Yeah. Here's the thing. An American Werewolf in London, I appreciate that it's got a large fan following behind it. I've never been able to really find my way into that film. It's just always left me a bit cold. I find it quite enjoyable. There's, it's, there's a, there's Look, a, everyone does. Like, this is certainly a me problem. I, there's a comedy undertone throughout the entire thing. There's a lot of good laughs Oh, in look, there. I don't, you know, disagree with that, but it's just never been something I've been able to watch. Every time I sit down to watch it, it just... I'm me just never in the mood for it. I'm not too sure, but... I don't know. There's something about that film. I'm really, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts after you've seen this. Yeah, one. I'm definitely going to give it a look. Anyway, Michael Maloney, this is the end of the podcast. We're going to get out of here. I want you to let people know how they can find you on Twitter for, you know, your Patreon, your OnlyFans. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at slash uh, Michael Maloney, M-E-L-O-N-I. And that's basically my only, uh, I think, public channel. Um and yeah, if you want to, if on, you, on a given day, what what am I going to find on your Twitter account? Uh, look, you're going to find me talking about cats, uh, mainly Instagram cats. If you're interested in cats and what's happening um, with cats on Instagram, I'm probably the most trusted trusted source for Instagram cat news, especially in Asia Pacific. Yeah, a uh, bit of airline industry, bit of that going on. Yeah, definitely. Look, there's a there's a whole heap of travel airline stuff on there. A lot of talk about Japan and things like that. You know, it's it's a good mix. To a lot of variety. I will say that while I don't necessarily look to you as my authority for Instagram cats, I've got someone else that I look to for that. I will say that your hashtag fruit chat is maybe one of my go-to like sources for information regarding like, fresh produce in the Australian supermarket scene. Well, lately I have been covering a lot of uh, Seven News' uh, food stories. So look, <laughs> it's a deviating a little bit from fruit chat into more broad food chat. Um, so if you're interested in some of what's happening in the uh, food world, um, yeah. Uh, final question. If I was going to get a bit of fresh produce to see out my afternoon, what would you recommend right now? Uh, Dan, I was talking about this to someone this week. Um, <laughs> look, jazz, ap- jazz, jazz apples. Uh, if you can get your hands on some jazz apples, they've still been the um, one of the best apples you can get this year without a doubt. It hasn't been a great apple season, uh, but jazz apples have really come through for, for the uh, apple. Look, I've had a lot of success with apples this season, but I will say the jazz is certainly one of my top two apples. Jazz hasn't done anything wrong this season. It's, it's been a top of the Yeah, game. there's been no Me Too moment for the jazz apple. There's been no Me Too moments for jazz mm. apple. Um, can't say the same for Royal Garland. Yeah. Anyway, guys, this has been Always Be Watching. We'll be back next week. If you like the podcast, leave a review. helps people find it. Hit the share button. Let people know, friends, family, just randos that are in your address book. It all works out in the end. Do that. You can follow me on Twitter at the Dan Barrett. Chris Yates, he'll be back with us next week. Always Be Watching. It's a televised revolution podcast. We'll be back next week with, I think, a discussion about The Mandalorian. <laughs> Folks, this has been Always Be Watching. We'll be back next week.